You are listening to WXOJOP Northampton, 103.3 FM. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues from a Baha'i perspective. Today I'm playing a pre-recorded interview with Makul and Sujata Acharya. They're Baha'is from Amherst, Massachusetts. They come from Nepal, and they are here so that Makul can attend the University of Massachusetts, where he is pursuing his doctorate degree in education. I started the interview by asking each of them what it was like growing up in Nepal. Uh, I grew up uh, in the mid-hills of Nepal, which is known as Gorkha. If you know the history of British Gorkha, um, they are the warriors that fought war alongside British in the First and Second World War. And that's where I grew up, which is um, about 130 kilometers away from the capital city, Kathmandu. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a capital city of Nepal, which is called Kathmandu. And the town that I grew up is called Tusal, a small town near Marasgans. And it's a very uh, quiet place and lots of uh, field to play around and lots of memory running around in the field, catching fishes, playing balls. So it was fun. Nowadays, all the fields are covered with big buildings and roads, but I have a very good memory of those plain fields. Since I grew up in a mid-hills, um, there was no electricity, no running water, no roads uh, until I finished my high school. Uh, pretty much uh, we lived in a farm. We, ha- we raised all uh, cattle and everything ourselves, and we harvested uh, rice and all basic needs that we needed. And we used to go, as a child, uh, I used to go to the field in the morning and then come back and eat and then go to school, come back and again have some snacks and go back to the field and do some work, come back and then have dinner, finish homework and sleep. So that's how we uh, used to manage uh, our life and every child had to work mm. the whole, th- whole day. I have a fond memory of uh, playing with my dog in a field. After we come back from school, we spend three hours, sometimes four hours outside playing, usually with pets. Uh, I played a lot with my dog. We used to play hide and seek with my pet, and which is amazing. He was a very brilliant uh, dog. We would go hide behind the trees, in a hole, behind walls, and until we are ready, he would know that we are not ready. And when we are ready, then he would come and just bark, come and just um, catch us. So it was a fun moment. And we played that game almost like uh, two, three years. Uh, and most of the time, playing is outside, not inside. Mm. The only inside thing is sleeping, eating, <laughs> those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so that was my uh, good uh, childhood memory. Hmm. 
climate is very mild um, and the maximum temperature would be somewhere around uh, 80 and the, um, the minimum temperature would be somewhere around 40 and sometimes if it drops down to the freezing point uh, would be really cold and people would say this is a really cold winter. Uh, not every winter would be that cold and summer would be uh, rainy since um, it is the monsoon season in Nepal and um, that would be the hottest time and would be somewhere around 80. Yeah, some monsoons are really bad because of the flooding and landslide. Um, Many people got killed and um, many people lost their houses, properties, um, all their crops and everything they owned. Um, the landslide is a problem in the hills and flooding is a problem in the south of Nepal, which is a plain land. Uh, and all the river systems um, run down to the plain land from the hills. So we used to have both kind of problems whenever there is a bad monsoon. Mm -hmm. Every monsoon has a little memorable in a good, good way, also in a bad way. Like in school, my school building was in a lowland. So when we have to go to school, the bus couldn't reach to the school ground. So they would leave us like 100 feet away and we had to walk. Since the land is so low, we had to cross the field, which is like almost two feet. The water is two feet high, sometimes one feet high, and cross every monsoon. And our feet, our leg would be wet. And in the monsoon, I remember from the rooftop, uh, dripping water in our books. <laughs> it's a good memory also and also bad memory because our clothes were wet and ours and sometimes because of the too much water we used to get a, a day off because of too heavy rain mm. since um, we were in the mid hills and it was pretty uh, stable kind of hill it wasn't a big problem but there were some people in my area who were affected by the monsoon. I asked Mukul and Sujata about the political situation in Nepal. The political situation in Nepal right now is uh, not that great since we have uh, Maoist insurgency going on for the past 10 years. Nepal has um, on the constitution uh, multi-party democracy uh, like in England when uh, where the monarch is a constitutional monarch. Uh, but um, in practice for the past two years at least has been an active monarchy and the monarch rules uh, he appoints the um, ministers uh, um, himself and there is no elected body uh, right now and uh, all the political parties uh, are um, now demonstrating the king's uh, against the king's actions and um, they are in the process of uh, working uh, out a uh, strategy to bring the monarchy down and they're also trying to work with Maoists and which is taking the uh, political shape right now. But in the past we had uh, absolute monarchy before 1993-400 years. 
Mm. When we, um, I was growing up in the mid hills, uh, in, yes, they, at that time too, Maoists and many other factions of communists were active, and um, the political system at that time had banned all the political parties, including the communist parties. So they were all underground and active, but they weren't that violent. Um, but uh, for the last 10 years, the Maoists' insurgency has picked up. Uh, the momentum and they have been really violent over 11,000 people have been killed on both sides uh, and what is the climax right now is uh, most of the rural areas are controlled by the Maoists and the central administration is limited to the district headquarters and Nepal has 75 districts and in a small pocket areas only the rest of the country is basically controlled by Maoists. And um, since I come from mid-hills in a village, which is one of the strongholds of Maoist insurgency, my family has been affected. Uh, my mother and uh, my brother who are kind of internally displaced and have been uh, living in the capital city and they don't go back home as frequently as they would like to because of the insurgency and um, my sisters uh, who are all married um, I have three sisters and one of them has been more affected by the insurgency because they come and they pretty much uh, take away anything from her home, whatever they like, and no one can say anything to them because uh, if you um, say anything, they might even kill you. So uh, pretty much everyone resigns to their demands. Since uh, I was uh, born and raised in Kathmandu City, I wouldn't say it's, uh, in a, uh, it's that bad way that my husband has. But um, so Time to time, there has been some um, uh, violence in cities, um, uh, bomb blast in buildings and in buses. So uh, it's it's uh, kind of a little uh, risky to travel around, mm -hmm. and even um, uh, in this, since my parents' house is near a police uh, camp and army camp. Uh, and since market um, mouse people, their uh, their target for violence is police and army, so it is a uh, little bit dangerous, particularly in that area, to get out, especially when it's dark. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the only uh, hurdle I have uh, seen. Mm -hmm. Do the insurgents attack civilians, or is it more political institutions and stuff like that? Uh, they attack pretty much uh, everyone who they find is against their uh, or on their way. Um, what they do is first they ask for donations, and which is a way of extorting people. And if uh, the donations are not given to them, then they will threaten to harm physically. And they have carried out such uh, physical threats um, uh, numerous times. So people do take those things seriously. Mm -hmm. and and either they'll leave the place and uh, go to a safer place or they fulfill their de demand if they can. 
and at many times people can't simply fulfill their demands because uh, they are so outrageous mm-hmm. and they have no choice but to run away from their place their home and leave everything behind um they do kill civilians uh, most of the times they uh, the killings are really bad uh, in a very traumatic way whenever they find that um, they accuse the person as uh, informant to the government um, police or military and the uh, informants don't usually get that chance of interaction as opposed to the people who are simply being extorted mm. um, informants are executed right away Mm. The situation is getting worse since uh, the number of people being killed are in, um, is increasing and at the same time the area that Maoists are being stronger is expanding. Um, what I personally see is the situation has become so serious that it has attracted attention from people from different walk of life. And now I see a polarization in the political arena of Nepal, uh, all the king versus the rest of the political parties, including Maoists. Just yesterday, there was news uh, that uh, the other political, seven major political parties of Nepal had uh, had an agreement with the Maoists to work together to uh, disarm Maoists under UN supervision and then uh, bring them to the mainstream politics uh, and, and the the political parties agreed to go for a constitutional assembly sort of a referendum and then give the sovereignty to people to decide whether they want to keep the king or not or basically deciding the fate of the monarchy in the country so that polarization in a way uh, might escalate the violence for the time being, but it might eventually give a way out to the problem. Otherwise, the problem had been going on for a decade, and uh, since it was not, most of the decision makers were not affected by it, they really didn't care about solving the problem, and now everyone is affected, and I think everyone will uh, look into the solution and find whatever they think is the the best for um, themselves and the country. Mm-hmm. I would see it every um, every year getting worse mm-hmm. because uh, since um, 10 years it's been going on and then um, thousands of people have lost their lives and thousands of people are forced to leave their hometown, even their country, to go abroad and um, look for asylum or uh, stay illegally and just trying to save their lives and thousands and hundreds of children have become orphaned and which is the uh, very sad, sad thing that in their own country they have become uh, refugees and forced to leave town and live in a strange place, in a poor health condition, poor uh, nutrition and no education. They have been cut out from the education and which is not only recent problem and the whole generation, next generation is going to suffer because those children have lost their 10 years of education. So it's not only one day's problem, it's their whole life's question. So it's a very sad thing and it's going worse. And another thing is women in some area that I've heard is their husband had fleed 
and uh, uh, the man there, the uh, breadwinner they call, has uh, uh, has left, and then the women have forced to uh, participate in uh, prostitution. Just mm. uh, just been uh, support their kids and live a life day to day. So uh, I see it's it's getting worse and worse every day, and um, it's very it's very tragic. Some uh, private um, organization, local people. Uh, have uh, open shelter so and people also working to find funding to help those children I asked Sujata and Makul how they became Baha'is I came to this faith through my father and uh, when I grew up then uh, auto- it was a kind of automatic for me mm-hmm. I didn't have to work hard to find a Baha'i faith it was <laughs> <laughs> well, right there in your family yeah, yeah right there in the family as I said, I grew up in the mid-hills and then I came to the capital city for my higher education and then uh, I met a couple of friends who were Baha'is and happened to be from the same district as I am from, but I didn't know them back then. And they told me and they gave me some literature about the Baha'i faith and also took me to a few gatherings like firesides to meet and hear uh, different people um, talk about the faith. And I initially I wasn't so much attracted to the faith because of the spiritual teachings because the way I was brought up, I was brought up as a typical Brahmin and I lived the life of Brahmin until I came to the capital city, I was the only one that I knew of in the whole area who was brought up uh, in that uh, traditional Brahmin fashion. And my parents wanted me to be a Brahmin, a very traditional Brahmin. Uh, but when I came to the capital city, uh, I realized probably I thought I could exercise my freedom because I always uh, oppose my upbringing the way I was brought up because I was singled out. I was the only one. No one else uh, in the area was like that. Sometimes I would be teased for being um, very different from the rest of the people. Even in my school, um, I never ate any food cooked by other than people who are from the same Brahmin background, which was extraordinary at that point of time growing up in that uh, town. So I I was always um, mad at my parents why I was brought up the way I was brought up. Um, But when I came to the capital city, then I took the advantage of that freedom. And at the same time, um, I looked for different way of living because I didn't like the way I was brought up and I guess that um, in a way allowed me to look for and be more open to new way of living and then when I heard about the Baha'i faith uh, I found it quite attractive um, in various ways. The spiritual part was already there, even though uh, I didn't like the way I was brought up, but the spirituality was already nurtured in me. 
and um, but the social teachings of the Baha'i faith, which was one of the major reasons why I didn't like the way I was brought up as a Brahmin, like the discrimination of caste and so many other things, which was in a direct contradiction with the society and uh, the education I was getting. Uh, I was living a double life um, when I was growing up. Then when I came to the capital city, I got to choose and I tried to sort of align my education and knowledge with the life that I want to live. And the other thing is about the political situation, what was going on in Nepal was uh, like one-party system. It wasn't democratic and so forth. And when I heard about the Baha'i faith, um, the election system, and um, how fair it is, all this administrative structure, um, all, all of those things attracted to me. And then um, I started learning not only about the Baha'i faith, many, about uh, many other religions, including Hinduism, because as I was born as a Hindu, um, I believe most of the Hindus don't need to learn about the Hinduism because they, it is taken for granted. And I t did the same thing. And uh, But when I heard about the Baha'i faith, then I wanted to compare those teachings with the uh, Hindu Hinduism, then I needed to learn both uh, Hinduism and, um, and the Baha'i faith. Mm -hmm. So it allowed me to um, investigate uh, different religions, and then um, eventually I became Baha'i, in, actually in a very short period of time, in three to four months period, uh, I became the Baha'i. I guess uh, one, uh, one of the reasons, and now in retrospect, I think I was uh, taught to, um, or uh, I was sort of um, raised in a way which was, um, it's okay to be just by yourself and mm, be and different. be a person, different person than the rest of the people. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So when I became Baha'i, it was a U-turn uh, in the context that I was such a traditional Brahmin who never ate food cooked by other people. And in a few months, I became Baha'i and accept all the religions and which is um, very, very difficult in that context and uh, was uh, challenging for me uh, to tell my relatives that I had become Baha'i. Mm. Uh, and uh, gradually I took um, different approach to uh, tell um, different people in my family, even my parents. I didn't tell them that I became Baha'i directly, but what I did is I took some literature to home whenever I visited my uh, village and left books um, at home. And from that, my father and my brothers and sisters gradually came to know that I was probably the guest that I had already become a, a Baha'i, but they never asked. I never told them mm -hmm. uh, until the moment came when we had to get married and I had to get the parental consent mm. which took about two years for us to get because uh, my parents were so opposed to um, me being a Baha'i in the first mm. place and then marrying someone who is not from the caste uh, hierarchy. Mm -hmm. That's a good segue into the story about how the two of you met and we met in a community, Baha'i community. I saw him when he was, yo, he was 18 and I was uh, 15 mm -hmm. and a half, something like that. Mm -hmm. So we were 
working in community as a community member mm-hmm. sometime in youth community sometime in a mm-hmm. so that uh, faith is the the venue in yeah which venue you met. yeah and then but that time we were just just a friend mm-hmm. and then later <clears throat> like on in 1993 i started working in an organization and where he was already uh, there this was a Baha'i organization? Uh, it's not, it was not a Baha'i organization, but it organization funded by U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And the, fun, the funding was for uh, women uh, to, uh, for literacy, okay. read and write. Mm-hmm. So we worked there almost uh, seven, seven years. Mm-hmm. And then, then when we were working together, then... Uh, then we started uh, looking in a different uh, way, right? Not, not just right. Uh, as, as a friend. friends, yeah. right? Right. When it was like nine year, no, ten years ago, um, there were no spark, sparking like uh, romantic mm-hmm. spark right. between no. us. Just right. a friend, yeah, yeah, a good friend, right. um, and one of our uh, parents' friend. Mm-hmm. And we would call her uh, auntie. Okay. In Nepal, you you don't just say name call. We right. always call if it's a lady, either sister or auntie. Mm-hmm. So we would call her auntie. And then she give a sparkle <laughs> in him and also on me. So how do you think about getting married? Because that was the time in my country. Like if it's woman... 20, 19, 20 is the time, but I was already, I have already crossed the age. And he was also on that time. So what do you mean by the sparkle? Sparkling means, how about this person? Oh, okay. So she put the idea in your mind. Yeah. Before that, we never thought. And being him, uh, even we were raised in a Baha'i community. Yeah. It's a Nepali culture that's 90%, not more than 80% people are Hinduism. Mm-hmm. So in Hinduism, to think about getting married from outside caste is uh, rare. Right. People do- doesn't do that much. Mm-hmm. So I, I even being in a, even raised in Baha'i community, I never thought that I would get married someone uh, from uh, different, different background and different caste. Right. So never thought of that way. And then... First, he she talked to him and she mm-hmm. talked to me, mm-hmm. and then I, after sh- uh, she, um, how do you say, um, suggested it to suggested, you. Suggested. Then I started thinking, and he started mm-hmm. thinking, mm-hmm. but I I knew that it is very difficult. It is almost like uh, impossible because my mother is not Baha'i. Mm-hmm. Only uh-huh. my father is Baha'i, and. I knew that um, she wouldn't accept it. So I told her, told my husband that I, I am willing, but it's very uh, time-taking. It's mm-hmm. very uh, energy-sucking thing to right. um, convince both my uh, parents. Father and brother w- wouldn't be a problem by m- my mother. I knew that it's going to be very difficult. So... Um, he started convincing his family. Mm-hmm. I started convincing my family, and it took um, for me almost three years to mm. make her ready. 
Wow. So, and mm. three years. Well, what turned them around? Uh, just, I would say, uh, patience and just mm. talking them regularly. Mm -hmm. Even though it was uh, um, very for, hard for them to listen that their daughter is uh, taking a different, you know, like different path they don't want. It's, I understand that it's very um, uh, painful for them to see that. Mm -hmm. But I, I chose that way and I knew that it's going to be good for me. Mm -hmm. And I was patient. Mm -hmm. I, I um, raised the topic every week even though it was... <laughs> <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Not so finally, yeah. finally... Um, in 1997, we permission. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. We uh, we took a really bold uh, step. How's that? I mean, every you know, like involved other people and send some people that my mother would listen or take my mother their voice, you know, con convincing voice. So mm. a lot so of you're persistent. Yes. So finally. Uh, it happened. Mm -hmm. But even after uh, marriage, she was not happy. She just mm. gave up. <laughs> yeah, so gave up. <laughs> so it happened, and sh now she's happy. She's, she's very happy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Now she what, knows. What, what, what changed uh, um, for her to be happy from I, being I just don't blame her because in Nepal, there is a, most of the um, inter, intercaste marriage. Um, like uh, ours mm -hmm. is very kind of um, uh, difficult mm -hmm. living, you know, living an uh, intercaste marriage for, for women is very struggling because of this uh, discrimination. The woman doesn't have voice in the family. Uh, so it was, and she has seen those things. So in a way that she, she was trying to protect me that so that I wouldn't, mm -hmm. Uh, go through the same suffering that right. other uh, woman has gone through, mm -hmm. but it was difficult for her to convince me that it will be different for my case. And um, but later, after I got married, uh, and after one year, no, sixteen months, we had a daughter, mm -hmm. and I need family support. Then I moved near to her, mm -hmm. and we became very close, like. She used to meet my husband, me, and my daughter every day. And she became too close to my husband. And mm -hmm. they, he, I mean, she saw and she um, kind of uh, got a chance to know Mukul, mm -hmm. how nice person he mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. how devoted he is. And after six months of... Uh, being very close, mm -hmm. then he, he's, I mean, she's totally changed. Mm -hmm. Now, nowadays, she loves more him to, <laughs> than me. <laughs> I hear that so often. Yeah. Now, Makul, how about your parents and how they were able to change? Um, one is uh, unheard of is getting married with uh, in my f family and, and in among my relatives to get married with someone else other than the Brahmin. That is one. The other part is um, 
since I became Baha'i, my parents were more uh, scared or afraid of the social uh, pressure that they were going to get because I became a Baha'i and I wanted not just to marry a Baha'i but in a Baha'i way which would be very different from the traditional Hindu marriages. Um, and since we asked the consent uh, um, for the consent because um, according to the Baha'i faith, we need to have the consent of the living biological parents. And without that, we couldn't get married. So we patiently waited for two over two years. And um, to get married in that way, to choose your own partner is... It's in itself is a revolution in Nepal. Almost over ninety five percent of the marriages are arranged for by parents and other people. And probably my parents had also uh, been looking for uh, a partner for myself. And uh, but uh, when they learned that I had chosen someone else who is totally, totally from a different background, then they were shocked. Um, I heard from a friend that my father had even told him that he would commit a suicide. And then basically we waited. We waited patiently and I tried to convince, talk through my brothers and sisters because they would understand what I was talking about more than my parents because they are of a different generation. My brother and sisters, though they don't, like me being a Baha'i, but they understand what is going on in the contemporary uh, world. My father uh, and mother had a very difficult time to even grasp uh, what it is. So, um, however, we were very close, uh, and I, wa- I was very good uh, son to them. Since I was 18, I-, I was not only supporting myself, I was also contributing to uh, the family economically and in various ways. In fact, I was uh, the... Uh, person who was bringing more income to the family than anyone else, even more than my pa- uh, father. Um, that was another reason. And uh, I was doing the best they could ex- expect from any son in all possible areas. Academically, I was uh, doing very well, and I had a good job. I had a good income in that context. And then uh, all those things played out, and everybody would say that I was one of the nicest person. So when they took all those things into consideration, they had a hard time, and my father was uh, sick, would be sick most of the time, and it costed a lot of money to... When he was sick? When he was sick, and uh, to treat him, um, and uh, basically that fell uh, upon me to uh, come up mm. with the money to, uh, to take him, him to the hospitals and do all of that. So I think um, all these different factors also contributed to that um, process in that in convincing them. Um, the major factor was the patience, and we never gave it up, and we never got mad at them because we knew they were trying to protect us. They thought what they were doing was the best for us, mm-hmm. uh, and we also knew that because they didn't have the same kind of education, and they didn't live in the same uh, kind of environment and society that we lived in. So we never blamed them. We understood them and we tried to tell them that it's a different is different mm-hmm. time 
and we are preparing ourselves for the future and they ha- they were comparing everything based on the past and so that was the uh, contradiction that we two were coming from and that's where the conflict uh, was um, basically looking at the past versus looking for the future mm. and uh, eventually they resigned uh, they didn't uh, accept uh, Sujata as their daughter-in-law because they liked it but they resigned they said if that's what you choose to uh, do then uh, go ahead and even though they said that there were, were moments when one time my mother called Sujata's um, parents home and she t- tried to convince Sujata's father <laughs> that she had learned that we wanted to get married and she also gave different examples how those kind of intercaste marriages uh, have failed and suffered and um, she didn't want us to go through that so she tried uh, every single thing and she also tried to scare Sujata um, <laughs> in different uh, encounters uh, mm. so that she would give it up but uh, we we helped that's uh, yeah, interesting we, um, at times Sujata was also scared whether she was wondering whether whatever my parents were saying true right. uh, because she simply didn't have um, access to them uh, as much as I had so mm-hmm. um, yeah I was in the better position um, in that mm-hmm. sense because I knew them and uh, has it gotten any better since then? A uh, lot better, um, especially on my side. My mother, is, my father passed away. Mm. Uh, my mother still doesn't eat rice and beans cooked by Sujata because she's not from the Brahmin background. Mm. So it's always difficult um, whenever we go to visit her or she comes to visit us and then um, the kitchen has to be... Divided. Um, And uh, Mm. that has been an ongoing um, conflict even today. today, And even it has become a problem between Sujata and me because Mm. of that one um, uh, unacceptance of my uh, mother's part. So Mm. let's see. And I uh, talked to my mother and she says she will... do it until she can mm. and uh, we, we have been living here for the past four and a half years mm-hmm. so we don't have that problem um, daily. now daily right. um, at least for this period of time right. and um, but let's see what happens in right. the future right so Sujata how, how are you able to handle this situation I would take uh, handling her mom uh, and no, my handling my mom was tougher than handling her her mom. His mom. His mom. Oh yes. really? Yes. Oh my really? My mom. Yeah. Before I getting married to convince my mom was a big winning a big battle mm-hmm. because I used to raise uh, issue every week, mm-hmm. and she would go uh, bomb blast or <laughs> crazy or <laughs> whatever you say. Yeah, right. And then one week, I would let her calm down yeah. and try try to find a good mood, yeah. buy things for her, do yeah. better things so she would be happy. And then find a moment to take a, I mean, start a um, talk. Mm-hmm. And then I would uh, start talking. 
then would go the same mm. back to the same point right so two years it was so stressful because mm. my father was tired my brother was tired <laughs> of I the was subject tired you mean <laughs> from the subject yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of scary mm-hmm. even though i thought that i have patience mm-hmm. in a point that i said is it going to work or what yeah. am i going to wait all my yeah. life here right, or right. so something so it was later no i'm talking about now i'm talking about now with the situation where his mother oh still oh. is keeping the tradition, tradition of the different cast and not eating from the other cast yeah. and that kind of thing and i'm just wondering how you're able to handle that it's it's tough mm-hmm. it's difficult that uh, not eating or not eating food touched by me, mm-hmm. I take it as she not accepting me mm-hmm. as a family member. Mm-hmm. So when I see that, it's uh, it's it's it hurts me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. hurts me. Yeah, uh, even though I am trying my best to uh, help them mm-hmm. and whatever um, a son and daughter-in-law has to fulfill responsibility. Mm. I think that I am uh, fulfilling all mm-hmm. those respons- responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I see those boundaries, it says, um, it is, says that, okay, there is not an acceptance. Mm-hmm. So it hurts. So, mm. um, But I cannot do anything about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, someone's belief, someone's perception. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and they have been living in that belief almost 60 years. Mm-hmm. Just like we have the strong belief on our own principle and mm-hmm. it's the same. So I, I don't think I can, I can do anything about it mm-hmm. except uh, carry on living. Yeah. 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 I asked the Acharyas what brought them to the United States. Both of us were working for the same... Uh, not the same, but um, before we came here, working for non-governmental organizations, uh, I was working for a Baha'i-inspired NGO in the field of literacy, women's literacy, microfinance, and microenterprise development, and um, have been uh, in contact with many um, people from who were educated in in the United States, and also uh, looking at the trend um, in the field of development in Nepal, um, that more and more people were getting uh, education abroad and it was becoming more competitive. So I had been, since I was working, I started working for non-governmental organization, I had been looking into it, but um, I got serious after um, Sujata and I decided to get married and one of the factors to that was we knew how tough it would be to live in Nepal if we don't make progress uh, from the societal point of view and mm-hmm. one of the progress that the society um, honors is education mm-hmm. and um, education in Nepal's context also brings a good income so in order to live um, in Nepal in that sort of hostile 
um, situation because uh, here we don't um, stand out. Um, but in Nepal, whenever we walk together, people would uh, be looking back and staring at us because we are so different and we stand out. So, But how is it, I mean, if they don't, how, do, how is it that you stand out just walking down the street? Because we are so different. Well, Our appearance looks different. Why does your appearance look different? Um, I I look like a person who comes from more Aryan background. Oh, okay. And um, Sujata is from Mongolian background. Oh. And people in Nepal know clearly when they see the faces that okay. these two people don't belong in one okay, place. Okay, so now that I look at you, Sujata, you have more of the Asian, Asian eyes yes. and, and you have more of the Aryan yeah. eyes. So this kind of inter I don't know if you call it interracial or inter intercast. So and, and so really the cast is made up of a lot of of the Mongolian descent people in Nepal and then the the Brahmin caste is more of the Aryan. Uh, caste is only within the Hindu system and Hindu is basically within the Aryans only and Mongolians are people of different tribes. I they see. don't even belong anywhere in the, tri uh, ca um, the caste hierarchy. Mm -hmm. However, they are accepted as a level above untouchables. Uh, um, which third, would be third in, the, in the third level. There are four uh, hierarchies uh, in the caste system, Brahmins, um, rulers, and then workers, peasants type of people, and then the, the lowest is the uh, untouchables. I see. And uh, people from other ethnicity are um, considered as equal to uh, the third category, mm -hmm. but they don't fall into the caste system. Okay. Uh, since Sujata comes from that, um, is from um, an ethnic group in Nepal, mm -hmm. so she stands out okay. in the crowd of mm -hmm. Aryans. Mm -hmm. And whenever we walked, for example, we would be going to, uh, Sujata was a student um, at that time in the university, mm -hmm. and uh, whenever I went with her to her um, university, mm -hmm. people would be looking at us, um, staring at us as mm -hmm. something strange was happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that. Well, we no. Go ahead. We were talking about how you ended up in the United States. Um, then, um, because of those odds, um, mm -hmm. we knew that we had to go through that, and then uh, we had to stay strong and mm -hmm. make good progress mm -hmm. and uh, be um, a role model mm -hmm. uh, to make our relation work, mm -hmm. uh, then we had to work harder. And mm -hmm. in that way, we also thought one was getting um, education, higher mm -hmm. education, and then uh, also uh, being more capable of doing things so that we would be making good income. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, um, being a Baha'i, we were exposed to the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and we knew, the um, as Baha'u'llah had said, um, the world is one country. And then we also wanted to gain experience, not just to read and hear uh, about how the uh, other world is or the Western world is, but mm -hmm. also get um, first-hand experience of the world. So we needed to get out of our country, out of our uh, um, society, the, the immediate uh, society, mm -hmm. to find out the real world. Uh, mm -hmm. So we wanted to uh, go out 
somewhere. And then the United States was one of the possibilities because I had already known a few people who had graduated from the United States, particularly from the University of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And um, the Center for International Education at UMass has a good program um, that is uh, renowned in the world for the kind of work that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought me to UMass. And What kind of work uh, is that? Uh, that's um, in the field of women's literacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I actually I had gotten my master's degree in Nepal, but that was not recognized by this university. So I had to do another master's mm-hmm. here. Um, so your master's degree in Nepal was what, and what is the? Uh, I come from very different background. I think when I think back now, uh, I am a person who always keeps looking for a different way. Um, first, I went to a law school. And then I studied law for five years, graduated from law school, and then also practiced law for three years. And um, then after I became Baha'i, I couldn't continue doing it because uh, on the ethical uh, back, uh, ethical grounds, because it was becoming challenging for me to be ethical at the same time and uh, continue the legal profession. So it was very difficult uh, for me to continue uh, practicing law. And then uh, I thought um, I need to do something which is going to benefit the society. And I uh, knew a Baha'i who had been working for a non-profit organization at that Mm -hmm. time. And then I talked to that Baha'i and and the Baha'i gave me some ideas. Mm -hmm. Then I tried looking for jobs and ended up being uh, working in the field of literacy after mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. After law, then I um, w- had been working for the Central Bureau of Statistics, so I wanted to get a job there, and uh, uh, then also uh, did a bachelor a bachelor's degree in economics, and then um, I had to do a master's, and I did my master's in Nepal in mm-hmm. political science. Mm-hmm. And then when I came here, I did another master's in education. Mm-hmm. And um, when when you're done, what is your vision? We'd like to go back to um, a developing countries, not um, to Nepal right away, but just to get different experience and also know the world. So um, we are hoping to get a job and work for a non-governmental organization um, helping women um, in a poor country to um, get some uh, literacy skills Mm -hmm. and uh, also work for their socioeconomic development. Mm. Um, So that's what we are planning, uh, but let's see. Yeah. How the future takes us. Okay. Uh, I am a person who likes to live in peace. Mm. So if he chooses country which is dangerous <laughs> or <laughs> stressful, you may have something to say yeah, about it. <laughs> I, I may say, oh, oh I, right. I may say we right. should change the country. Right, so. right, right. So I hear you. I hope so Nepal in its own right is somewhat not peaceful at the moment. No, so right. that's why we have no plan to go back to okay. Nepal immediately. Okay. Okay. But um, we would like to go back. At some point. At yeah. some point, but not not 
not at this point doesn't right. look good. Yeah. 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 I asked Sujata to imagine what her life, especially as a woman, would be like if she had not become a Baha'i. So if I have followed my mother's side, mm-hmm. I would have ended getting married when I was 16 mm-hmm. and have uh, children in young and, mm-hmm. uh, and I would have uh, definitely uh, end up getting married from my own, own caste mm-hmm. and f- uh, follow the tradition mm-hmm. that's been following for the last hundred years. So mm. life would be a uh, thousand times different. Mm. Thousand times different. Mm. It's, um, but I'm glad that I chose uh, this path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being my uh, being followed my father's um, path, mm-hmm. I could um, got bachelor's degree. When I say bachelor's degree, it doesn't sound very high, but when I See from Nepal's point of view, my mother's point mm-hmm. of view, mm-hmm. it's a big um, achievement mm-hmm. because I was surrounded by my only my mother's mm-hmm. side because my father's relatives were far away mm-hmm. in their different countries. Mm-hmm. So all my siblings, I mean cousins, not siblings, cousins, they they got married early, mm-hmm. uh, left out from school, mm-hmm. and so if I had followed them, I. I would, uh, my life would mm. be different. I wouldn't even see, get a chance to see world. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Makul and Sujata Acharya. They're Baha'is from Amherst, Massachusetts, who came here from Nepal. If you want information on the Baha'i faith specifically, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Instead of playing the theme song, I leave you with a song sung by Sujata and her daughter Prita in their native Nepalese language. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
God made a pact with Abraham Never leave man alone so Abraham gathered his family Brought his people home Then came Moses, gave the world a push Climbed up on a mountain high the Ten Commandments from a burning bush and put together his first tribe.
You are listening to WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.